almost part of the staff here at Riverview. Amen? It, it, it's just as he's missed a lot of staff meetings. That's the problem. <laughs> but other than that, I love this guy. He has his doctorate in theology. He has his doctorate of philosophy from Labrie. He has his doctorate of jurisprudence from Trinity Law. He's authored a couple of books. One of them is down there called Reflect. We have some copies out in the back. It talks about how to become more like Jesus Christ and mirror him in our lives. And he is loved here at Riverview Church. So would you give a warm welcome to Dr. Thaddeus Williams? Come on, brother. Hey, bring it in. <laughs> Thanks so much, brother. Good morning, Riverview. It is a joy to be back with you for the 900th time. Uh, I did not know Mel was going to be here this morning. So give me one minute. I just got to edit my sermon notes. <laughs> delete a bunch of damnable heresy real quick. Okay, we're good. All right, I'm here to share with you about enjoying ABBA. And I don't mean the 80s synth band. Uh, I mean the awesome privilege that we have as believers to address the creator, sustainer, sovereign Lord of the entire universe as Abba, which is an Aramaic word that some scholars would say the best translation would be daddy. Some scholars say papa. Uh, it's this term of intimacy that we can address the father with. And so I want to look at five truths about the fatherhood of God together. We're going to be spending our time in Romans 8, if you want to flip there. And while you are, I just want to set it up uh, with something that happened about a month ago that was so cool, I have to let you in on it. So uh, rewind a month ago. My wife and I uh, get invited to a couple's house. They've been friends of ours for about six years now. And we show up, and they're fighting. So it's super fun. Uh, and by fun, I mean incredibly awkward. Uh, well, I sort of wander into the backyard, and the, the husband of the couple follows me out. And uh, we're going to change some names to protect the innocent. Uh, we're going to call him Bob. Uh, so Bob and I are sitting in his backyard, and he just opens up, uh, gets super vulnerable, and shares all the drama. Uh, basically, their marriage was on the rocks uh, because he has not been faithful to Mrs. Bob, and said he said it like this. He said, Thad, my dad cheated on my mom more times than anybody could count. So if my dad is a minus 10, as long as I'm a minus 7, I'm making progress. That, that was the way he thought about his life. He was taking his cues from his lowercase d dad to define himself. And so I explained to Bob, I said, it, it, it sounds like you're looking to lowercase d dad and, and to say he's minus 10, maybe I'll be a minus 7, I'm making progress. The truth is there's a capital D dad. And I walked him through uh, some of the truth of Romans 8 that we're going to dive into together. And here's the way I explained it to Bob. I said, look, everybody's got three deep-seated fears. Number one, everybody fears rejection, which is, what if somebody sees me and shuns me? What if somebody sees me and runs for the hills? It's a pretty universal fear. A second fear is fear of superficiality, which is maybe somebody will accept me, but they don't really see me. 
They, they don't really understand. Maybe there's some skeletons in my closet. I'm not really seen. And, and so that's the second fear. third fear I explained to Bob is maybe you're seen and, and maybe you're accepted, but what if you lose that connection? So a third fear is what we might call the fear of love lost. Maybe there's an unforeseen bleak medical diagnosis. Uh, maybe there's some black ice on the road, some, some tragedy. Uh, and so maybe something could sever that connection. Those three fears, rejection, fear of superficiality or shallowness, and fear of love lost. And I explained to Bob from Romans 8, I said, your capital D, Dad answers all three of those fears in the most profound way you can imagine. Because he sees you, he's all-knowing, he sees you at your worst, and he sees you at your weirdest, and he still accepts you. He still embraces you. He still runs toward you like the dad in the prodigal son story, right? Runs towards you and wraps his arms around you and embraces you as son. And, and as for the fear of love lost, this capital F Father, this capital D Dad, this capital A Abba, also happens to be the sovereign, omnipotent God of the universe. And so Romans 8 tells us that nothing in all of creation, not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present or things to come, nothing in the entire universe can separate you, can sever that connection to your capital F Father. I said, you need to take your cues from capital D, Dad, instead of lowercase d, Dad, to define yourself. Let yourself be redefined by your real father. So we have that conversation on a Saturday night. Fast forward to the next day. Sunday rolls around, uh, and Bob is a fireman. He goes into the station, and his chief pulls him aside and has almost the exact same conversation about the fatherhood of God. Fast forward to the next day, Monday, uh, Bob gets a call from an old fireman buddy he hadn't heard from in six years. And his friend says, hey, I don't know why, I just felt like I needed to reach out to you and, and talk to you about Jesus. And, and I just needed to talk you through the gospel. That's Monday. Fast forward to Tuesday. Uh, Bob wakes up at the station before everybody else to get his morning workout in, and he sees down the hall there's a light coming uh, from the captain's room, and he peeks his head in, and his captain, lo and behold, is reading the Bible. And so Bob's like, hey, I'm not disturbing you, am I? And the captain says, come on in, let's talk about God. So Sunday, Monday, uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, four days in a row, and finally Bob realizes, like, maybe, just maybe, God's trying to tell me something. <laughs> the light bulb slowly starts to go on for him. So he tells his captain, I want you to call me tonight at 6.30. I'm going to be in the car driving with my wife and kids to the pumpkin patch, and I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to say yes to my capital F, Father. I'm ready to, to respond to the good news. And so the captain calls, the kids are in the car, the wife's sitting next to Bob, and Bob chickens out and says, I, I'm not ready, I can't do this today, hangs up. As soon as he hangs up, he gets a text from his old fireman buddy that he hadn't seen in six years, and the text just said, today is the day. <laughs> and so Bob calls that friend and is like, why did you text me that? That had no context, it was super random. Why did you text me that? And his friend said, I don't know, I just felt like I needed to tell you today's the day. 
So shortly thereafter, I get a message from Bob, and here's uh, a snippet of the transcript from uh, Bob's voicemail. He says, I just wanted to share some cool news. Uh, so I'll leave it in a voicemail because sometimes you're really hard to get a hold of, which is true. He says, okay, um, I accepted the Lord today. He accepted the Lord. So we could spend eternity with Bob. Let's hear it for, for God jolting spiritual life into Bob's heart. So now he's taking his cues from his capital D dad. And so I, I share that story with you just as we get into Romans 8, so you realize these aren't just words on a page from an outdated book. The, these are living words. These aren't just abstractions. These aren't just ideas floating around in outer space. These are truths that, that literally change lives. And, and so having said that, let's uh, read uh, Romans 8 together. Uh, I'm going to be starting... Hang on, i got to... Take it off my Greek Bible here, or you'd have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Romans chapter 8, I'm starting down at verse 12. Paul writing, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, listen to this language, sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's that Aramaic word again, Daddy, Papa. Which, just try to wrap your head around that for one second. You this little speck on a little blue marble in the vastness of space get to address the creator of the entire universe as Abba. What an awesome privilege, thanks to Jesus. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, let me just hit the pause button right there and unpack this a bit. One of the most famous books of the last 10 years, an award-winning book, uh, it's a 900-page tome called The Secular Age. If you ever have insomnia, pick up a copy of Charles Taylor's The Secular Age and you will have the deepest slumber of your life, the deepest REM. Uh, it, it is not exactly a page turner, uh, but it is profoundly insightful. What this Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor is trying to do is he's trying to explain life in the 21st century. He's saying, what, what, is, what are the marks of our age and what make it different than all the ages through history? And he finally lands on this. He says, the mark of our secular age is that people, including religious folks, tend to live their lives in what Taylor calls the imminent frame, the imminent frame, which is a fancy 50-cent philosophy word. What he means by it is we live as if the universe is a box and that box is closed. 
There's nothing beyond the box. There's no God out there who, who made the universe. There's no God out there who made the box, who can open the lid and speak truth and meaning and purpose and beauty and goodness and justice into the box. Rather, the box is closed. And so inside the box, we come to define ourselves by other things inside the box. And so we might think of ourselves in the imminent frame in terms of, well, I am uh, my job. Or I am uh, the sum of my dysfunctions and traumas. Or I am uh, this depression. Or I am this anxiety. Or I am this economic or financial stress. Or, or I am this failure. We, we define ourselves based on other stuff inside the box. Well, what I want to do here as we open up Romans 8, as you open up your Bibles, picture like you're opening up the lid of the universe and you're hearing the outside-the-box truth about who you are, what God says about who you are. Because the bottom line is what God says about you, how God defines you is infinitely more trustworthy, infinitely more reliable than what your own feelings say about you, than what anybody else inside the box says about you. And how does God define you in this passage? God defines you as son. God defines you as daughter. God defines you in that profound relationship. So I want to walk you through five truths to celebrate together this morning about the fatherhood of God. The first one I want to draw your attention to is that you have a father who chooses. You have a father who chooses. You see this in verse 29 of Romans 8. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a passage that theologians call the golden chain of redemption. The golden chain of redemption, because every link in the chain is solid gold. Everyone God predestines, he calls. Everyone he calls, he justifies. Everyone he justifies, he glorifies. There's no breaking the golden chain. Now, Mel told me I only have till 5 p.m. to wrap up. Is that about right? Give or take a half hour. So, so we're going to go deep into predestination and get that all figured out. Anybody <laughs> up for that? Uh, so, so I'd love to, but alas, uh, we don't have till 5 p.m. And even if we did, we wouldn't even skim the surface of predestination. Uh, so the short version uh, is that if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you should believe in predestination. Why? Because it, John Calvin didn't make up that word. It's right here in the Spirit-inspired scriptures. Everyone God predestined, he called. Uh, and so you see the passage again in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, predestined to adoption as sons. Uh, you see it again in Acts 4. So predestination is, is a biblical concept, and the idea is that God chooses you. You were chosen not because you were so smart and so good-looking and so spiritual that God was like, I want, I want him on my team, I want her on my team. No, you were chosen when you were at your worst. You were chosen at your worst. You, you see this vividly in Ephesians chapter 1, a parallel passage to, to Romans 8. 
I've talked about it here before, how it's the longest run-on sentence in the entire Bible. Uh, so, a little quick Bible trivia. What's the shortest sentence in the entire Bible? Jesus wept, John 11. So, extra. I'm a professor. I have the authority to give extra credit, so extra credit all around. Uh, longest sentence in the entire Bible is Ephesians 1. 204 words before Paul just catches his breath. And he starts out this massive sentence by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And he has called us uh, to be holy and blameless, or unblemished is how some translations have it. Uh, to be holy and unblemished, uh, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Now, let me just unpack a few things there, and I want us to time travel back to the first century together, to, to hear this like we're hearing it for the first time. If we are in first century Ephesus, we would be surrounded by brothers and sisters who the culture had a name for. Some of you have heard this before, that in the first century there was a group of people known as the momos in Greek. And momos meant blemished. It meant, it meant unwanted. It basically meant your human garbage. And so right outside the city gates of Ephesus was the human dump where unwanted infants were tossed away like trash. Their lowercase d dads didn't want them, didn't deem them fit for life, didn't deem them fit to carry the family name. Now, for many of those unwanted, many of the momos, many of the, the blemished, they were either eaten by prowling dogs, uh, they were exposed to the elements in some of the first century literature that are called the exposatic, the, the exposed, uh, but more often than not, they were taken in by slave owners and raised in a, in a life of bondage. So what is their inside-the-box identity? Momos. Inside the box. What is the universe? What is the society? What did my lowercase d dad say about me? Unwanted, unworthy, blemished. You see what Paul's doing in Ephesians 1? He's opening the box for us and saying, here's the God who made the box, speaking truth into it, and redefining the momos as the ah momos, the unblemished, the wanted, the cherished, the sons, the daughters invited warmly into the family of God. That's who you are this morning. You were chosen by a good father, and he has renamed you from unwanted to wanted, from blemished to unblemished. Amen? So we have a father who chooses. Number two, we have a father who protects. We have a father who protects. You see this in, uh, in Romans 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now watch Paul's conclusion to this. It's so powerful. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Isn't that good news? You are protected. You are held secure. That father who chose you just so happens to be omnipotent, just so happens to be all-powerful, just so happens to be supreme and sovereign and invincible and indestructible. That's your daddy. Think of it this way. When, when I was a kid, as little boys sometimes do, they get into fights over whose dad could beat up whose dad. And I always won every time because my dad, lowercase d dad, uh, Russ Williams, is a ninth degree Kung Fu San Su black belt master. <laughs> True story. And, and so, you know, some kids on the playground, my dad could beat up your dad. Oh yeah, what does your dad do? He's an accountant. What does your dad do? He's a ninth degree Kung Fu Sansu black belt master. And they'd kind of walk away like, okay, I guess your dad could beat up my dad. Uh, in, in fact, uh, when my dad coached uh, high school basketball for Mission Viejo High School, uh, we were playing our big rivals, Capo, Capistrano Valley. And uh, it's this big showdown. Uh, and in the second half of the game, a fight breaks out, a fist fight on the court, and the bleachers clear from both sides. And everybody's just pounding on each other and slapping each other. Somebody was filming from the top bleacher. And you see my dad just sitting there calmly. He stands up, calm as a Hindu cow. He walks out and just starts breaking up fights. He'll like put a sleeper hold on somebody, break up that fight. Then he walks, he was just like a mailman delivering the packages, just like that fight's done, that fight's done, that fight's done. And he single-handedly stops the brawl in the entire gym. So don't mess with Mr. Williams. Uh, now, you know what's even more amazing than a ninth degree Kung Fu Sansu black belt master father? Is that everyone in this room, you have the capital F father who is literally infinite, who is literally powerful enough to sustain the entire universe this very moment, every subatomic particle, every supernova in a distant galaxy, the rotation of the earth, it's all in his sovereign hands. And what does he do with those almighty hands? According to scripture, if you read John 10, it says Jesus is talking about us. He's talking about all the believers down to the echelons of time. And Jesus says, no one can pluck them from my hand. Now, if the text just stopped there, that would be security enough. You have Jesus, who happens to be all-powerful, holding on to you. But Jesus goes further. He says, my Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. No one can pluck them from my Father's hand. That's the outside of the box, God speaking in and telling you who you are this morning. And how secure you really are, whether you feel it or not. You are held securely by the all-powerful Son... And the all-powerful Father wraps his hand around the sons, and no one can pluck you out of the Son or the Father's hand. And Scripture goes on to say in Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee, a seal guaranteeing your destiny. Whew. Isn't that great news? That that's where you are this morning, in the hollow of the Son's hand, in the hollow of the Father's hand, in the hollow of the Spirit's hand. Dear brothers and sisters, you are utterly secure. You are utterly safe. You are utterly 
protected by the all-powerful triune God. Amen? So there's a second truth about our Father. He's not only a chooser, he's a protector, which leads us to a third truth to celebrate together this morning. Uh, We have a Father who chooses, we have a Father who protects, we also have a Father who embraces, a Father who embraces. You see this in the very first verse of Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you look down at verse 31 uh, of Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. So not only are you utterly secure, you are utterly accepted by the Father because of Christ, because of your identity in Christ. Let let me say it like this. Um, There was a movie that came out in October that shattered all blockbuster records. It was was the top-selling October release of all time. And it has gone on since October to become the top-grossing R-rated film in human history. Anybody know what movie I'm talking about? Yeah, Todd Phillips' Joker. Uh, The Joker movie, top-grossing film of all time. I'm curious how many guys, by a show of hands, have seen the Joker? Okay, I see that hand. God bless you. We'll be praying for you. We'll be praying for you. Uh, You just admitted in public to seeing an R-rated film. So we are all judging you. I'm just kidding. Uh, so so I'll, I'll confess I saw it. And I saw it uh, on a Friday night. And I had spent the day in, in the courtyard at my house uh, having a conversation about this amazing doctrine of adoption. That, that misfits like us can call our creator Abba. And so it was fresh in my mind. And I went to see it with a buddy of mine named Oscar. And... What struck me so profoundly is that movie, if you watch it through biblical lenses, can really be seen as everyone's quest for Abba. What happens when our needs to be seen, our needs to be protected, our needs to be accepted, our needs to be brought into a family, what happens when all those needs aren't met? We turn into jokers. We turn into agents of of chaos and destruction. Now, there's a scene early on in the movie, so spoiler alert. I'm going to give away little bits and pieces here. Uh, There's a scene early in the movie where Arthur Fleck, who is uh, played by Joaquin Phoenix, that's the Joker character, he's watching a late-night comedy. And its host is played by Robert De Niro. It's a guy named Murray Franklin. And, And Murray Franklin... Uh, He's a real funny guy, you know, he's real quick on his feet. And Arthur Fleck imagines himself on the set in the studio audience. And the spotlight falls on Arthur Fleck. And Robert De Niro's character looks at him and he says, Arthur, you see all the lights? You see all all the glitz? all, All the show business, bells and whistles? I would give it all up in a heartbeat if I had a kid like you. And you see Robert De Niro's character wraps his arms around Arthur. And the camera zooms in on Joaquin Phoenix's face and it's 
One of the few times in the entire movie you see an authentic smile coming from the Joker. Not the painted on clown smile, an authentic smile because he's utterly fulfilled. He's utterly satisfied in a father figure's arms. Well, the tragedy is that whole scene happens in Arthur's imagination. In real life, he's rejected by Arthur, uh, by Murray Franklin, who mocks him in front of a national audience. And it's because those ABBA needs uh, aren't met that he turns into a joker, this agent of chaos and destruction. Now, watching that, what struck me is that aren't we all Arthur Fleck, in a sense? That don't we all want that embrace from ABBA? And scripturally, that's exactly what we get. We don't have to imagine it like Arthur did. Think of the prodigal son, right? One of Jesus' most famous stories. Remember, the prodigal goes and blows his inheritance, insults his dad, and he finally comes home with his tail between his legs, and his dad spots him on the horizon, and help me out, Riverview, what does dad do? He runs. He bolts full speed. He sprints towards his son, and he throws his arms around him and kisses him and puts a ring on his hand and the nicest clothes and throws him a big bash, throws him a big party. So you have a father who not only chooses, who not only protects, but a father who embraces, who wraps his arms around you. You have utter and complete acceptance in the father's arms. Uh, which leads us to a fourth truth to celebrate about the fatherhood of God. Uh, God not only chooses, he not only protects, he not only embraces. We have an Abba who listens. We have an Abba who listens. You see this in uh, Romans 8, uh, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for. We don't pray as we ought to. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. But what's going on here is that the truth is, ever since Genesis 3, ever since that catastrophic day in Eden, the world has been filled up with futility and fallenness, brokenness, sin, mayhem, and, and that means that at times we just run out of words. We just run out of words. And, and so this text is saying that even when we don't know what to pray, it's enough to just go, to just grunt it out, and the Holy Spirit intercedes, and the Father listens to it and understands it better than you do. There's a passage in Isaiah 63 where it says, in all of their griefs, he too was grieved. And all their griefs, he too was grieved. Think about it like this for a second. Let's imagine you get a phone call, and it's a dear friend, and, and they got some bad news. And, and here you are, weeping with those who weep, grieving with those who grieve. But then five minutes later, you get another call. Another friend, more bad news. Now you're grieving with that friend, and then five minutes later, another call. Just boom, 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 one after another. What would happen to you is, is you would find yourself running out of emotion. You would run out, your emotional batteries would be drained pretty quick with, with that much trauma hitting one after another. But that's because you and I are creatures. We're not the creator. God's God and we're not. So God doesn't have that problem. 
He can listen and he can grieve the full scope and the full weight in a way that we can't. That's the kind of father we have that we can run to. And so you have a father who listens. You see this in Galatians 4, verse 9. It says, we are known by God. You see it in Matthew 6. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. You see it in Hebrews 4.16. You can approach him with confidence and receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You see it in 1 John 5.15. We know that he hears us in whatever we ask. So not only do we have a father who chooses, a father who protects, a father who embraces, a father who listens, but last and not least, we have a father who invites us into a bigger family. A father who invites us into a bigger family and then gives us a life mission of redemption. What am I getting at here? Well, let let me jump back to the Joker for a second. More spoiler alerts. The Joker without Abba ends up creating a community around him of people running around in clown masks unleashing hell. Unleashing hell on earth. They're burning down Gotham. They're destroying everything in sight. They become agents of chaos, agents of death, agents of destruction. When you look at that, flip it around. Now that you have Abba, now that those fundamental needs are met by the creator, sustainer of the universe, and you can call him Papa, you can call your God Daddy, You now join a community of brothers and sisters, the family of God, and you become anti-jokers, meaning you become not agents of destruction, but agents of redemption. You become not agents of chaos, but agents of, of beautifying a broken world. And that's one of the things I love about coming down to Riverview, and especially like even announcements, hearing all the things going on here, and hearing you guys go to Mexico, and you lifting up missionaries around the world and stuff you're doing right here in your own neighborhood. You guys are the anti-jokers. You guys are the family of God on a mission to bring light and to bring redemption and to bring hope to a broken world. That is just a beautiful thing that I don't want you to take for granted. It's easy to just kind of start going through the motions. But let me say it like this. Because God is your father, because we can enjoy God as Abba, that means every relationship in this room is radically redefined and deepened. It means you aren't just surrounded by other people, warm bodies in the seat next to you who just so happened to show up to the 11 o'clock service that maybe you had to exchange awkward small talk with during the greet your neighbor part. On, On a deeper level than all that, you are surrounded by brothers and sisters. Adopted by the same all-loving Abba. Look around you for a second. This is family. This is a family gathering in the deepest sense of the word. Now, when we realize that, we have a foundation for real unity. Let me just just close with one quick story of what I'm getting at here. I was listening to a, a, a Hispanic brother share his story a little over a month ago, and he was saying that, you know, he started to get swept up in this cultural moment where we have a lot of, like, identity politics going on and a lot of us versus them, tribalism, and a lot of polarization. And, and, and this dear Hispanic brother was real swept up in that. And it, what he found was it started to affect his, his worship on Sunday where he would show up and 
congregation would be on its feet singing. And he would look around and see all the white faces and say, well, white people are the oppressors. You know, they have all this unchecked privilege. I'm brown, so I'm a second-class citizen. I'm brown, so I'm in the oppressed people group, and I'm surrounded by these oppressors. And so he started to feel Sunday after Sunday more alienated, uh, more marginalized, more all by himself. And he said one Sunday he, he was standing there with his arms folded as the congregation was belting out a hymn, and he looked in the front row, and there was this old white woman with her hands stretched out, worshiping the Father. And he said at first he looked at her and he was like, oh, she has so much privilege. She doesn't even realize what her people have unleashed on my people. And, and so he's just sitting there kind of scowling. But then he looked at her a little longer. And he began to see her in a new light. He began to see her in a biblical light. He could see her belting her heart out to the Father. And, and the light bulb went off for him. He realized like, before any other category inside the box that I could categorize her as, if I'm seeing her with a, in an open universe, with the lid open, how does God define that woman? That's my sister. That's my sister in Christ, worshiping the same Father, saved by the same Jesus, inhabited by the same Spirit, on the same mission of redemption to the broken world. And he said once that clicked for him, his folded arms just shot up and he joined his sister in glorifying the Father. But let me just say, this truth of the fatherhood of God and how we become family is the only foundation for the kind of unity that our polarized world desperately longs for but has no foundation for. And so a community like Riverview, I love looking out here and seeing different people from different walks of life and different age brackets and different economic Statuses and all these different inside-the-box categories. But to me, it is so powerful to watch you all, for all of that diversity, to stand on your feet and worship the same Father as family, as brothers and sisters. Let's pray together, brothers and sisters. God, we thank you for the mind-blowing privilege of addressing you as our Abba as daddy, as papa. And to know that you are the father who, who chose us when we were at our worst, when we were at our, our weirdest, when we were at our most unwanted. So, so I pray that if anybody here uh, has fear of abandonment, that they would walk out of here trusting you, the father who chooses, the father who renames us from unwanted wanted, from blemished to unblemished. God, in a room this size, some of us have suffered abuse, sometimes by people who should have been protecting us. But thank you, Father, that that doesn't have to define us. We can be redefined by you, a Father who protects, an invincible, an omnipotent Father who holds us secure in your mighty, mighty hands. God, if anybody here is lugging around a fear of rejection, what if people see me and shun me? I pray that they walk out of here with a deep sense that you are a father who embraces, who wraps those arms around us. We are fully, completely, utterly, and comprehensively embraced and accepted by you. God, I pray that if anybody here feels unseen, unheard, invisible, 
that they walk out of here with a deep sense of you as their Abba who sees them, who hears them, that they have intimacy uh, with you. And I pray, Lord, if anybody here feels aimless and just what's my life mission, that they walk out of here with a renewed sense of life mission. They are part of the family of God to join a movement not of destruction, but of bringing redemption and beautifying a broken world. Thank you for all that you are for us, Father. And it's all thanks to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We thank Dr. Thaddeus. And let's stand together. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Amen. Dr. Thaddeus is going to be on the foyer if you want to greet him. Thank you so much for being with us today. We have elders and home group leaders up front who would love to pray with you. And live this week all for him. God bless you. Stay on the patio.